right, if you have a Bible, find your way to Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6. And while you're turning there, let me just say how great it is to be back with you. Uh, missed you the last few weeks, but enjoyed our uh, time of vacation and, and back ready to go. And in fact, excited about a brand new series that we're starting this morning uh, entitled Teach Me to Pray. Teach Me to Pray. And we're going to look through the month of July uh, here in Matthew 6 uh, for the Lord's Prayer. We're going to work our way through the Lord's Prayer, uh, kind of phrase by phrase, uh, word by word. This morning, kind of a little bit of an overview. And uh, I'm excited about this because I don't know of any area in the Christian life um, that we struggle with more uh, than our prayer life. Any, anybody with me? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever just felt very inadequate when it comes to prayer? How many of you have ever felt like, you know, you've prayed and prayed and it just doesn't even seem to go past the ceiling or, or you've just found yourself frustrated with the whole idea of prayer? Anybody? Anybody with me? I'm sure you've been there at some point. And uh, Jesus, over the next few weeks, through the Lord's Prayer, is going to teach us how to pray. And I think this is going to be very encouraging for us, hopefully very challenging, uh, because is there anything greater than prayer? I mean, you get to talk to God. That's an amazing thing. And so we need to make sure that we're doing it as Jesus uh, has instructed us to. And so this morning, let's start by reading the whole thing. If you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5, and we'll read down through verse 13. Matthew 6, uh, beginning at verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Uh, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Would you pray with me? Father, help us. Help us understand how to pray. Because you are worthy of worship. You are worthy of our prayers. And uh, I just pray this morning that you would, by your Spirit, teach us the right heart, the right motivation and how to pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I read a story about a businessman who was uh, on an international flight. And about halfway through the flight, it came time for him to have the meal, the flight meal. And the stewardess brought him his meal and laid it there on the tray table. And he peeled back the cover and he noticed that he'd been given something extra. But it wasn't an extra piece of dessert. It wasn't a larger portion of meat. No, what he discovered when he pulled the cover back was there in his salad was a roach. Well, he had the same reaction that you just had. He was furious. 
He was angry. He called the stewardess over immediately and let her have it, told all the other passengers around. In fact, when he got done with the flight, he sat down. He wrote a long letter of complaint to the president of the airline. Now, he didn't think he'd ever hear anything in response He just needed to voice his complaint. But sure enough, about a week later, he gets a letter in the mail from the president of the airlines. The letter was dripping with apologies. In fact, it said things like, we have taken immediate action. And quote, the airline will not be used again until it is thoroughly checked. Even the stewardess has been put on probation. And then the letter closed by saying, this will not happen again. You have my word. We hope that you will continue to fly our airline. This guy was impressed. He thought, clearly it was just a mistake. Everybody makes a mistake. And so he thought, I'm not going to think another thing about this until he noticed something. He noticed on the back of the letter was a little sticky note, a post-it note. He peeled it off and he looked at it, and written on that post-it note was a handwritten letter from the president to his secretary, which read, send this guy the standard roach letter. Now that'll make you think twice about flying and eating your next meal on a plane. But I want you to think about that type of response. Think about it. It sounded good, didn't it? I mean, he used all the right words. He used all the right phrases. In fact, the guy, when he received the letter, thought it was sincere. But the truth is, it was nothing more than a routine action with meaningless words. So I thought about that story. I thought, you know what? If we're not careful, the exact same thing will be true about our prayer life. It'll become routine. It'll become nothing more than just a response to a crisis. We'll have all the right words. We'll use all the right phrases. But the prayer itself will be void of meaning. And listen, friends, that's exactly what Jesus is warning his disciples against in Matthew chapter 6. That's what he's dealing with. See, these men are Jewish men. They've been around prayer all their life. Men, I mean, they've been praying since they were a kid. They've seen people pray in the synagogue. They've seen people praying on the street corners. They know prayer. But the problem is they've become so familiar with the types of prayers around them that it actually become very, very routine. I guarantee you it happens to us as well. You know, I mean, we we, we are around prayer all the time. You're at church, for heaven's sake. We pray here. Uh, In the culture, how many of you hear people say, you're in my thoughts and what? prayers all the time. We pray at meals. You know, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Or we teach our kids bedtime prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep. We're around prayer all the time. The problem is it can become so familiar that it becomes routine. Now for the disciples, listen, Brian, that all changed when they encountered Jesus. These men who had been around prayer all their life, saw Jesus pray, they heard him pray, and they saw something very different. It wasn't routine, it was real. 
In fact, in Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer, the disciples actually come to Jesus and say, would you teach me how to pray? Would you teach us how to pray? Like, clearly, we don't get this thing. I mean, here we are. We've known prayer all our life. But now, after hearing you pray, we feel like a kid in floaties, you know? I mean, we... Here we are, we think we know how to swim, but like we're in the kiddie pool with floaties. We're JV. Would you help us? Would you teach us? Because we don't, we don't want our prayers to God to be routine. We want our prayers to God to be real. And Jesus, there's something about you that's real. So teach us to pray. And Jesus gives them what we know as the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer. Now, that's encouraging for a couple of reasons just really quickly. Number one is this, we can learn to pray. The reason why that's encouraging is because if you're here this morning and you feel inadequate about prayer or you don't understand it, maybe you're new to the faith and you have no idea what to do, get in line. The disciples didn't know either. Jesus has to teach them. Maybe you're like the disciples and you've been following Jesus for a while and you're still like, I need help. We can learn to pray. And not only can we learn to pray, we can learn to pray the right way. Has anybody ever told you it doesn't matter how you pray as long as you pray? Well, if they've ever told you that, they didn't get it from Jesus because that's actually the exact opposite of what Jesus is teaching here in this passage. There is a way to pray and Jesus is going to teach us how. And then finally, that means that the Lord's Prayer is a guide for us. It's a help to teach us to pray. You know, it is ironic that the very prayer that Jesus gives to go against the routine has actually become a routine. I mean, how many of you have ever been to a wedding where you heard the Lord's Prayer sung? How many of you went to churches where you would recite the Lord's Prayer every week? How many of you were on an athletic team where you would say the Lord's Prayer before you take the field? Listen, Jesus isn't being poetic. He's not giving you something to put on a coffee mug. He wants to teach you how to pray. He wants to teach us how to pray. And he does it before getting to what prayer really is about. He actually exposes some false approaches to prayer that I think we're going to find we do more often than we think so that then we'll know how not to pray so that we'll know how we should pray. Let me show you. The first approach to prayer that Jesus exposes is what we might call a religious prayer. Look at verse 5 with me here, Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the what? The hypocrites. Why? Because they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Now, I thought you said this was about religious prayer. Well, here's what you need to know about the Gospel of Matthew. The word hypocrite is almost synonymous in the Gospel of Matthew with religious leader. There are all kinds of examples of this in the Gospel of Matthew. You can just read that. We don't have the time this morning to go through that. But Jesus, when he sees the Pharisees, When he sees the religious leaders, just flat out calls them what they are, they're hypocrites. Their approach to prayer was a religious approach to prayer. Well, what is religion? Come here for just a moment. Religion is this. It's you trying to do something to make you feel better in the eyes of God or in the eyes of others. 
You see, the Pharisees understood what God wants from us is perfection. In fact, the last verse of Matthew chapter 5 says that we are to be as perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. Go try that. But what the Pharisees did with that kind of idea is they said, what we'll do is we'll try to do all these religious things so that we can feel really good about ourselves. But here's the problem. Look at me, folks. I really want you to get this point. When in your attempt to be good in your own effort, when you try to be good in your own effort, when that collides with the reality of your sin, you will do one of two things. This is huge. You will either admit your inability to be good and run to God for grace, or you will try to make yourself appear better than you are. There's no other way out. And so what the Pharisees did is, here they are, they're trying to be good in their own efforts, but they know they're still sinful, so what do they do? What they try to do is display themselves as being better than they really are. How do they do it? Well, they give, and they pray, and they do all these things as a means to hopefully showing God, I'm a good person, and showing everybody else who's watching, I'm good as well. And what prayer became was this. It was nothing more than a reflection of how you want to be seen. And so they prayed in the synagogues and they prayed at church and they prayed in all these public places as a means of reflecting their own morality. Don't you see how good I am? Don't you see how good I pray? Don't you see, God, I'm doing what you told me to do. But prayer was really nothing more than a reflection of their own goodness. Now, Jesus here is not anti-public prayers. In fact, Jesus will pray publicly here in just a few verses. But listen, Brian, what Jesus is against is praying for publicity. Praying in a way that exalts you. Now, now listen, 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 listen. Because Jesus uses the word hypocrite, and because if you've been around church for very long, you know that Pharisees are the bad people, you're going to be very quick, just like I am, to dismiss this. Well, I don't pray publicly at church. I don't get up there and pray. So clearly, this isn't talking about me. Baloney. You didn't know I knew Greek, did you, right? Wrong. We, we, we have a tendency to attach prayer, and our spiritual identity all the time. Let me give you a few examples. Are you ready? This is going to kind of get in your personal space a little bit, but that's okay. For instance, when you pray around other people and you're always focused on what you say so that you will either impress or not be embarrassed. Anybody? Don't show you, don't raise your hands, right? Anybody done that? If, if I were to say, I want you to come up here and pray in five minutes, what would you spend the next five minutes doing? What am I going to say? Well, I got to use the right words because if I'm going to stand up in front of all these people, man, I don't want to look like an idiot. What, do you, what are you focused on there? You're focused on how will other people see me when I pray? Or let me give you the opposite of this, which will get some of you as well. You don't ever pray in public 
because you're afraid that if you use the wrong words, you'll be embarrassed. It's the same thing, don't you see? Whether you pray out loud focusing on the right words or whether you don't pray out loud because you don't want to use the wrong words, the focus of both of those motivations is how will other people see me? How many of you have ever heard somebody pray and your thought has been, boy, I wish I could pray like that? What's at the heart of that thought? I mean, if I could pray like that, then I would have a certain status. Or I, I would be able to think better of myself if I could pray like somebody else. How many of you maybe know somebody or yourself who tries really hard to be a person of prayer, to be known for that? Here's, here's the thing. Don't, be try, don't try to be known as a person of prayer. Just be a person of prayer. It's not about what other people see. Lastly is this. This, this is convicting. You know you're motivated by publicity in your prayer life when you never pray in private. You never pray alone. Look at verse 6. Notice Jesus says here, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is what? In secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In other words, listen, Jesus is not saying public prayer is bad, private prayer is good. He's saying this. The reason why you know you're motivated by publicity is you don't ever pray alone. And why would you? Because nobody will see you if you're alone. Nobody will be able to think anything about you if you're alone. If you think private prayer is boring, it may be because you're driven by a different motivation. And Jesus says, don't pray like this. Don't approach prayer as though it's some type of reflection of your spiritual condition, whether that's before God or whether that's before others. That's one approach. He says, don't pray that way. Here's the second approach that he tells us not pray this way. Look at verse 7. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Why? For they think that they will be heard for their many Words. Now, Jesus here is talking about the Gentiles, that is, non-religious people. And nobody's ultimately non-religious because everybody worships something. What I mean is they didn't worship Yahweh. They didn't worship the God of Israel. Everybody worships something. That's why you see people who, even if they don't have any real active relationship with God, will still acknowledge that they pray. Walk up to almost anybody and just say, do you pray? And almost, almost everybody's going to say, yeah, I pray. Yeah, I'm a person of prayer. Even if they have really no relationship with God. Why is that? Why do people pray even when they're really not in relationship with God? The answer is simple. They want something. They want something. That's why it takes them about 0.3 seconds to get to their requests. You see, the Gentiles, remember in this context, they were likely Romans who prayed to a multitude of gods. And the Romans thought this way. Jesus says they think they'll be, they offer up all these empty phrases and they'll think they'll be heard. What Jesus means here is this. People who were outside of Israel, those who were pagan people, those who, who worshipped, for instance, the Roman gods, what they thought is if they offered up the right words so they'd say them over and over and over again, then the gods would respond by giving them what they wanted. So they offered up empty phrases 
in hopes that they would be heard. So their thought was, if I keep putting enough pennies in the, the gumball machine, maybe the gods will give me a gumball. And maybe it'll be the color that I want. And so maybe our crops will be good. Maybe we'll be fertile. Maybe we'll have better weather. Whatever God it is that I'm offering up all these things to, what I really want is my own desires. I don't have any relationship with these gods. It's purely an exchange to get my own desires met. Now, we do this all the time. Listen, I've had the opportunity to travel some, whether I teach or I'm coming back from a mission trip. And, and one of the things, some of you do this, like when I'm gone, I'll always bring my kids back some presents or, or something. And, and my middle child, who's, her name is Audrey, uh, she's five, about to be, be six. And uh, she started developing this habit that every time I'd walk in the door, in fact, my oldest is here in this service and he'll vouch for this. Uh, I'll walk in the door and my middle child, almost like clockwork, will say, hi, daddy. And then what's the next phrase out of her mouth? What did you bring me? That's it. Yeah, they do that to you too right? And then my older son, my, my oldest child, Caleb, would, would typically say, Audrey, Audrey, don't you understand you need to be thankful that daddy's home? Pharisee, right? <laughs> he doesn't even know what that means, but you know, okay? And then often that would be responded from Caleb of, you know, you just need to be happy that daddy's home. And by the way, daddy, what did you bring me, right? <laughs> now, what's the motivation of all that? It's not relationship, it's what do I get? What do you have for me? Man, I'm, I'm telling you we do this all the time. God is going to do X because I prayed. And I go to church. And I give and I, whatever, fill in the blank. It's, it's, I put my pennies in the slot, and God, you better give me my gumball. And it better be yellow. Or, or if you'll just name it and claim it. You ever heard that? You know, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, you'll prosper. Come here. How many of you know someone, how many of you are someone who has been angry at God because you prayed for something and did not get it? And we have to be careful in that, that what's really motivating us in our prayer really isn't God at all. It's what we can get from Him. If we took an honest evaluation of our prayer life, honest, Berean, be honest with me, when we look at the things we pray about most of the time, it's usually I'm sick and I need healing. I'm broke. I need money. My relationships are a mess and I need reconciliation. It's what we want. And Jesus is not anti-giving requests. In fact, He's going to teach us to do that in the Lord's Prayer. But if prayer is only giving your request, it's not prayer it's you treating God as though He were your personal genie just waiting to give you your next wish. And Jesus says, listen, Berean, don't pray that way. 
Don't let prayer be a reflection of trying to make yourself look better than you really are. And don't let prayer simply be a a means of getting your own personal desires met. Rather, here's how you should pray. You see, with that as a backdrop, now we begin to understand how Jesus really wants us to pray. Now, be of good heart. I'm not taking every single phrase this morning. I'm just going to show you the forest, why what I would call Christian praying is different than the other forms of praying. Notice that when Jesus teaches them to pray, he starts with what we might call adoration or praise. Verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Do you see how the prayer that Jesus is teaching us to pray starts with a radically different starting point? Do you see? Man, I'm about to do cartwheels up here. This stuff is so exciting because it's like, man, if we can just see this, our prayer life will be so different. Jesus says, listen, prayer is not the person praying. Prayer is not about what you're saying. Prayer is about the one to whom you're praying. And and what, what our focus needs to be on right out of the gate is not what you need. It needs to be on God. Because at the end of the day, He's really who you need. Amen? So prayer isn't about getting something from God. A Christian way of praying is getting God. Not trying, like all the other gods, like the little gumball machine, to try to get His attention. It's to get our attention on Him. And I'm telling you folks, part of the reason why we struggle so much with our prayer life is because our mind is filled with worldliness when it needs to be filled with holiness. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. It starts with adoration, but then it moves to submission. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you notice the difference? You see, these two types of prayer are all about your kingdom. It's about how you look. It's about what God thinks about you. It's about how you can impress others. It's about what you can get. But Jesus is talking about a different way of praying that starts not with your kingdom, but His And listen, folks, friends, until we get to the point where we're willing to say the kingdom of my relationships and the kingdom of my finances and the kingdom of my priorities are surrendered to your kingdom, we are not praying the way Jesus wants us to pray. I get asked a lot, how how long should I pray? How long should I pray for something, Pastor? I'm going to give you the answer right now. You might remember this or write it down. Here's how long you need to pray for something. As long as it takes for you to get out of your kingdom and surrender to His. And that may take you a day, that may take you a week, that may take you months. But that's what's radically different about Christian prayer because we're not ultimately about ourselves, but we're about the kingdom and the will of God. Now that we have praised God and given God the worship that He deserves and we have surrendered ourselves to Him, then we get to the part of giving a request. Look at verse 11. Give us this day. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. See, Jesus is not anti-giving request. But now we're able to give request with the right heart and the right frame 
of mind. We need to adore and surrender before we give our requests. Because when we start with our requests, we can't even see them correctly. We need the perspective of God and the surrender to Him in order to even be able to ask rightly. So, so this is a totally different way of praying. It's a totally different motivation of praying than the others. And why is it so different? And I'm going I'm to wrap it up with this. Why is this way of praying different than the other ones? Why is this about relationship and not just routine? What is it about this that moves us to a totally different motivation for praying? Look at how Jesus starts this prayer. Pray then like this. Now say, what's the next two words? Say it with me. Our Father. Meaning this prayer is birthed out of a relationship. What transforms our prayer is the grace of God. And you say, what does this have to do with grace? What Jesus is referring here to is the adopting grace of God that brings us into His family. We're able to call God Father. We're able to call God Father. It's like anybody awake this morning, is that not amazing truth? We're able to call God Father that, that God looked upon me, a spoiled little brat who was living in his own orphanage of sin. And he looked upon me, and he showed grace to me, and he adopted me out of that orphanage, and he brought me into his own family so that I can, Romans 8 and Galatians, cry out, Abba, Father. And how can I do that? I can do that because I've put my faith in the Son. And because I put my faith in the Son, I'm a son of the Heavenly Father. In fact, John 1 verse 12 says, To as many as received Him who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Look at me, Berean. Do you know Him as Father? Do you know the grace of God that has brought you out of your orphanage of sin and into the family of God. When you know that, when that, that sinks deep into your heart, it changes how you pray. You say, how so? You think, for instance, the religious prayer that's all about acceptance. What is it about the grace of God and His adopting us into the family that changes this kind of prayer? Look here. You don't have to pray for God's acceptance because you already are. He loves you. He's adopted you. You're in the family. He loves you abundantly and unconditionally. I didn't say your husband. I didn't say the person sitting next to you. I said you. If you're his child, he has already demonstrated the radical love he has for you. So why would you pray to impress him when he's already impressed with what Jesus has done on your behalf to the point that he calls you son? And you don't have to pray for other people to be impressed because if God's already accepted you, who cares what they think? Amen? 
I don't care. I don't care if you like my prayer. I'm not praying to you. I don't care if you think I use the right words or you think I'm impressive in how I pray. Why? Because I know the adopting love of a father who has already received me forever. Why would I pray to impress you? Why, 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 would, I, why would I make... Do you see how, how the grace of God takes us from religious prayer to relationship? Because if you already know you've been accepted by God's adopting love, there's nothing that you have to prove. This radical adopting love also transforms this kind of prayer. Why? Why? Because you're willing to make your needs, you know, all the little gumballs you want, you're willing to make your desire secondary. Why? Because once you know the adopting love of the Father... You already know he wants what's best for you. You see? Like you don't you don't have to be all about me, 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 my needs, my desires. Why? The cross of Jesus Christ is all the proof you need to know you don't ever have to doubt his love. You don't ever have to doubt that God is going to be working for your good. Even if you don't get what you want, even if you don't understand His answer, you can know because I have a Father who has adopted me. He loves me. My kingdom doesn't have to be first. And quite honestly, if you know the adopting love of the Father, you know His kingdom is better anyways. Do you see what... When you know Him as Father, when you know His grace, when you know that He has adopted you, it changes how you pray. It changes how often you pray. It changes where you pray. It's in public and it's private. Why? Because it's no longer about the routine. It has now become real. Our Father who art in heaven. Let me end with this, this story. I know I said a moment ago I would end with that, but I've been out a couple weeks. Get off my back, all right? <laughs> Think about this story as it summarizes everything from the text, and then, then we'll, we'll be done. The, the story is from Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal God. L listen closely to this. There once was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. He took it to his king and said, My Lord, this is the greatest carrot I have ever grown. I want to present it to you as a token of my love for you. The king was touched. He discerned the man's heart. And as the gardener turned to go, the king said, Wait! You are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so that you can garden it all. The gardener was amazed and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard this. And he said, my, if that's what you can get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? The next day, the nobleman came before the king with a handsome black stallion. He said, my Lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I have ever bred. I want to present it to you as a token of my love for you. 
the king discerned his heart, took the horse, and dismissed the man. The nobleman was perplexed. He was confused. He didn't understand. And and so the king said, let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot. You were giving yourself the horse. I ask you this morning to look at your prayer life. And to ask yourself, is this nothing more than a reflection of trying to impress other people with how good I am? Is this simply trying to go through some religious activity? Is it always just about what I want and my desires and what I need? Or am I praying out of the overflow of of a relationship with my Father who has saved me by radical grace. Brian, this is nothing but routine. This is real. Let's pray. Father, teach us to pray. That... that I ask this morning that you would just help us as we study your word over the next few weeks to teach us to pray because you are, you're deserving of worship. You're deserving of the prayers of your people. We we need to honor you and worship you with prayer and we need to be surrendered to your kingdom and not make prayer all about ourselves. So teach us to pray. Help us. Help us in these things so that we would be not driven by goodness, but driven by grace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.